All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 170. It's Tuesday night. This is when we like to talk to you about whatever things you want to discuss in college football. We are in that this low before the bowl season, which won't be here for long. My name is Bob Ekayeri. If you want to join the conversation, you can just go ahead and hit request. All right. So couple of things as we get here you know one of the interesting stories that popped up today and and i i hope the gentleman's okay but ohio state had an unnamed recruiter who was unfortunately carjacked uh, while visiting a recruit in cleveland um but quote he's fine and back recruiting so that was kind of one of the more squirrely stories of today again i think because again the, the ohio state uh unnamed recruiter was unhurt it's a little bit lighter but going back to the schedule here's where it gets fun so again this is like the dead zone i think a lot of folks in sports media will tell you that and it's a good it's like a breather for folks they start working immediately in august as they go through the season week after week game after game after army navy or during the army navy week like we just had it's kind of a breather for a lot of people in that to kind of get their bearings and get ready for the bowl season and the rush to the college football playoff Next year, we're not going to have that kind of a break because next year, and I should also point out, this is kind of a weird calendar year. There were five Saturdays, or there are going to be five Saturdays in December. But next year, after Championship Saturday, the following weekend, Army-Navy, and you know all the portal uh, craziness and the Heisman ceremony and all of that stuff, the following weekend, we get the first round of the 12-team playoff. So... Friday, Saturday of next uh, of next December, I should say the 20th and 21st, 2024, we're going to already be there. It's going to be jumping right into the playoff season, so this it'll be an exciting week heading into it. So in for college football fans, that means it'll be a little less of a lull this week, and for everyone who covers it, a little bit more work. So I'm looking forward to that next year, especially as we get more teams and more participants. To see John has requested, I'm going to go ahead and let him up. Another interesting thing is one of the Otter stories, although it makes some sense, and, and if you have theories on this, I'd love to hear it as we wrap up the regular season. Matt Entz, the uh, North Dakota State head coach, has won two national championships for the Bison, has announced that, and, and from what I understand, this got, this got leaked. They were hoping to hold on to this news until after the FCS season wraps up because they're getting ready for the semifinals. But he's going to, after the playoff run, join the USC staff as their linebackers coach. So he's going to join as a position coach, you know, in FBS. But at the same time, some people have been theorizing why. I mean, there's the pay increase. I've been wondering, you know, his defensive coordinator is now the head coach. Uh, I mean, his defensive coordinator last year left to become defensive coordinator at Northwestern. Northwestern had some off-season implosions, and now he's going to be the head coach. He's the name of the head coach, and I wonder if he saw that. He saw that uh, increased by that, and he also saw what happened with Choate, who uh, left a successful run over at Montana State to become a co-defensive coordinator over at, and position coach over at Texas. He left to also become head coach at Nevada. So I'm wondering if he's seeing these kinds of FCS routes and decided that you know instead of waiting to be a, a potential G5 head coach or be in the outside run like his predecessor, Kleiman, who went to Kansas State, he decided USC was where he was going to go. So... That's an interesting move. Um, I know the Bison fans weren't entirely thrilled with him because after Bowl and Kleiman, um, some people were suggesting that perhaps you know his early success, those two national championships were the results of the recruits he got. But 
I mean, they're going to the semifinals right now. So even the down year for the Bison means it's kind of like down year Alabama. It means like, hell, they might still get to the semifinal regardless. But anyways, enough talking from me. John, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me? Sure can. All right. So I guess mine uh, question time is just, you know, a little bit of background um, actually regarding the uh, transfer portal. Um, as you know, as a fan of a G5 um, team, the, the, the portal's been a really interesting experience the last couple of years. Uh, on one hand, we've probably gotten you know some of the best talent we've ever got uh, in, in you know in the history of our program coming into the program. But you know, on the flip side, we have you know so much you know new players coming and going. You know, it gets hard to you know, keep track of everything. I, you know, I would like to say um, I'm a huge fan of the portal, though. I mean, it's I I, I hope they don't change anything. I mean, I I, I think it. The freedom against players, and you know, right now, I, it's I think it's fantastic. But you know, and what I've observed though, you know, we we do get a lot of players that are coming from the Power Five down to us, then going back to Power Five. So I guess long long term, uh, <laughs> this will make this question a little bit shorter. Um, so are G five conference uh, teams really almost like the junior college of of uh, of uh, teams for players now are we just really just like the almost like go the um like the community college or junior college of the uh, college football experience at this point i don't know if i would necessarily go because juco still exists and and occasionally people do recruit for them i think i was reading that um uh deon sanders building the line that he's doing right now because now he's trying to get offensive linemen i think he only recruited one traditionally from high school but he's loaded up from the portal and 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 got a junior college recruit so those exist but i i think you know i i get what you're saying it's becoming like a minor league farm team where if you have success at a g5 program like in your case old dominion i know that's your team and um and some of these others are you basically just setting yourself up and i mean it's an interesting question i mean you could also say the same thing for other P5 programs, because there's certainly a pecking order that's developing there. And I'm not just talking about the uh, the SEC and Big Ten versus uh, the ACC and Big 12. But, I mean, even within the conferences to some extent, because some programs can just spend money that the others can't. And, um, and perhaps, you know, and not only that, but sometimes some programs just have a better history of getting guys into the league, which ultimately for some of these folks, when they're reaching, when they realize they're, they're uh, excelling, um, I can kind of get why they want to optimize their their worth and their value. And and there is some benefit to that. But I, I think you're right. I, I think that is absolutely what's developing here, particularly um, with the G5. But it's fascinating, too. One of the questions that's been going on, um, and I've heard it mentioned by others, but something that, that hit me as well, and I'm sure many of you, is what's going on with the kind of the quarterback uh, situations at, I would say, the top schools. Because obviously, you know, we, we're hearing Washington and Oregon, because they're obviously going to lose their quarterbacks um, with the with the end of the season. They're now looking for transfers. I mean, you know, that was a big thing. Dylan Gabriel's going to be at Oregon now um, after leaving Oklahoma. Certainly, you know, uh, that was a blue blood leading to a, a sort of a newer blue blood, but certainly a program that's been on the rise for some time. And, you know, is that is, the question is, are we going to see more of that? Are we going to see is, is to be a top program or a lot of these like folks like, you know, ones that have turned out great quarterbacks like USC, like, uh, you know, I mean, Michigan seems to be one of the few teams that had a quarterback that isn't a transfer at some point. Um, is that something 
uh, that, and you know, Jalen Milrow obviously is not a good example of someone who's stuck with Alabama. But for the rest of it, we're seeing so many of these transfer quarterbacks. And is that something where we're going to see will, will some of the bigger programs spend as much time developing younger ones? I think they will, but it certainly has taken a lot of pressure off of them. Um, but, but yeah, so when you talk about the G5s, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It is becoming a little bit of a farm team. Although I do wonder how many of these guys that, that put their name in the portal will come back. I always love to see that ratio because sometimes I think there are folks that are maybe feeding them information that make them feel like they're, um, you know, they, they, you know, agents, things like that, feeding them information that they're going to be highly desirable, um, when they, when they're not, and then they may end up just kind of coming back and that happens at all programs. So I think to some extent, you know, you don't know until you put your name out there. So I kind of can't blame them. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know if I, I think a lot of folks, if they were in that position, you know, if you hear like, you know, somebody might pay you, you know, you know, not if you, you know, if you're a million dollar player, you know that. I mean, at that point, you know, that, that would be obvious and people, articles would be written about you. But if you're doing really well and, you know, some team is looking for that position, yeah, it never hurts. Um, but yeah, it is complicated like that. John, I'll let you get a reply and then I see we've got a couple of people waiting and I'll get to all of you. Yeah, um, I was just going to reply to the fact you mentioned, you know, uh, players just uh, jumping to the portal with the possibility of returning. I, I think every year, uh, you know, there's always some some angry person on Facebook or so on Twitter complaining about the number of players jumping into the jumping into the portal and really never factoring in like how many guys actually just return to school. I mean, there's I think I think there's really no harm in guys just seeing what their what their worth is on the college football landscape. So. I'm happy you didn't mention that because I think that's something that's really overlooked in the process. Yeah, for sure. And I hope someone, I'm sure there will be someone who will put break down those stats. James, what's going on? What's on your mind? Hey, what's going on? Thanks for, thanks for letting me speak. Uh, just want to say, like, been a big follower of the page uh, through Twitter and through Reddit for a long time. Thanks for making uh, you know, a yeah, Thanks, man. This, Appreciate this that. Little, uh, game. Uh, that I've been playing since I was a kid, you know, uh, you know, uh, still a big part of my life. But what I wanted to ask is, you know, I, I grew up on Long Island, New York. Um, we're kind of in a weird spot for college football, right? Um, I went to D3 SUNY Cortland's, uh, shout out Red Dragons. We're in the, yeah, they're D in the D3 title game. Yeah. North Central. Yep. Yep. First time ever. First time ever. Super hyped about that. Um, but I did grow up. A Michigan fan. By the way, real quick, I yeah. just have to ask you: Did you go? Have you been to the Jug game? You've got oh, to have been to oh, the Jug game. Oh, I've been to the Jug game at Yankee Stadium, at MetLife. I've been to it at oh. Portland. I've been to it. We actually had a we had a we had a um we had a, a reporter once. We were able to get into the Jug game when it was at MetLife Stadium. Can you explain to those who aren't familiar? Because for those who don't know, this is one of D 3s biggest rivalries. I would say and that you just yeah. I would say that it's probably D 3s biggest rivalry. It's the Cortland versus Ithaca game play for the Cortica Jug every single year. Um, and basically, the two schools really get up for it, right? Um, uh, the two teams have been playing, I think, for about close to, I want to say, 50, like 60, 70 years. Um, and they're about like 20 minutes from each other up in central New York. So, And they, uh, they blew out the record for uh, the D3 attendance record for a single game over at MetLife. So... Like, uh, I would say it was about like 50,000 ish fans that were at the game, which is huge for D3. Like, the usually the yeah. attendance is like 10k at, at, on a good day, uh, for some yeah, of the and, higher and for folks who might have trouble, like the spelling Cortaca, it's like the 
it's mixing Cort- Cortland and Ithaca. So it's just taking the first part of Cortland and the last part of Ithaca. And, yeah. And that's where you got the Cortaga jug. But uh, yeah. yeah, sorry. I just, when you mentioned you were there, first of all, I mean, congrats on the D3 title game. That's, that's a huge step. Huge, for right? But, but at the same time, like I had a, you know, I know you had wanted to ask about Michigan, but I just, I wanted to not- notice that because there, there's so much going on there and it's rare to get, talk to D3, D3 fans like this. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I just wanted to, to ask what's like, the general consensus on people becoming fans of like teams that they're not necessarily went to the school or from the region. Cause I grew up, grew up a Michigan fan, obviously always wanted to make my patronage over to the big house one day, but what's the general consensus on like you like becoming a fan of a team when you're not necessarily geographically tied to them, or maybe you went to the school like, what's the general consensus on that? Maybe I'm looking for approval for me to be a Michigan <laughs> fan or something like that. But, um, you know, I think there's there's different schools that. of thoughts there. There's different schools of thought. I, I'm, I'm more inclusive than anything. I mean, I'm even like, OK, if everyone wanted to hop on the Colorado bandwagon, great. You know, at the beginning of the season, you know, if you, if you stuck with it, cool. If not, you know, OK, then that is a little shadier. I mean, the yeah. whole joke of like, are you an Alabama football fan and a Duke basketball fan kind of? You know, with the Yankee cap on, as you say, all of that. You know, there, there's that whole angle of it. But I think, you know, there's a lot of folks, and I've known plenty of folks. Because I went to, you know, I went to USC. So I went to, not you know, fans who want to be fans of that are interesting. Um, again, I went there before they were, like, great. So I remember you'd run into folks who just, like, their, their parents went there or their parents were fans. And then, you know, they go to some other school. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, as long as you kind of stick with it. I think, the, to me... Sticking with it is really what it ultimately ultimately comes down to. Like I remember, for example, for me, I remember there was this guy who went to it was like a small, um, you know, liberal arts college in the Midwest. You know, it's a D three program, but you know they had a D. They'd always been a USC fan because their parents were USC fans. I know people who like for every school. I mean, we know that for every school out there. You know, you talk to people. I mean, an RCFB. You know, on the on the the subreddit that that we manage, you kind of you see folks like that because oftentimes. They'll have like, because we allow for people to have two team logos by their username. And sometimes you'll see like a major team in front or or in the second slot, like a, a Michigan or a Texas and Alabama or any of the FBS programs. And then the second slot will usually be a, a smaller school that doesn't play D1 football. And that's oftentimes where they actually went. Uh, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you can be, as I think really to me, again, it's consistency. So if you've been a Michigan fan your whole life and yeah, you went to, you know, a, a, a fine state school in, in New York um, that plays D3 football, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I think people can be fans of more than one school. I mean, sometimes people go to grad school. Like I have a very good friend and we both kind of traded places like he did undergrad at Minnesota and grad school at USC and I did the reverse and we're, we're fans of both teams. I mean, when push comes to shove, you, you know, we pick the team that we're with and actually both of us. Even though he did grad school at USC, he was kind of a he grew up a USC fan. We're we're you know push comes a shove, you know we're USC over Minnesota. But um, I think as long as you're consistent with it and there's some link, whether you went to the school or you just always liked it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we also get folks. My favorite are the posts, and we usually get these on a semi regular basis. Somebody from like Europe, usually they're from Europe or Australia, and they'll say, "Hey, you know, I'm just getting into American college football. What team should I follow?" And you know. Let them pick whoever they want. Figure it out. You know, if you want to be the dude who's like, I'm going to be an Alabama fan right there. And then it's like, all right, but try and stick with it. I mean, don't suddenly become, you know, the team du jour, you know, just because they had a tough team, tough game against USF, you know, don't freak out about it. But uh, John, I see your hand up and then I want to get to, I'll get some other folks as well. And feel free to stay up, James. And I'm not saying like, I'm not talking anyone off the stage or anything like that. 
Yeah, I, I was just going to agree uh, fully with you there as well. I, I think, you know, I think the most important thing as a college football fan is no matter what, where you're from, I don't, if you went to the college or didn't go to the college, I think if you, as long as you stick with the team, you know, if we're thick and thin, I think that makes you a better fan than anyone in uh, my book personally. And I, you know, I've, I think a good example of that too is, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up a uh, Virginia Tech fan, which is because uh, my dad was an alumni, which makes false between me and him really awkward now. But um, you know, I think in a lot of when I was a kid, a lot of the fans that were there. Um, we're not people who are who are uh, actually students at any point. They're just people who lived in the uh, in in the Blue Ridge or, or Appalachian part of Virginia in that part of the United States because there is no other team out there. There's no there's no professional team in that part of the state. There's no no other there's no professional team close to them, and so that they essentially adopted the, the, you know Virginia Tech as their team. So I think you know I will, no matter what the circumstances, as long as you support the team through no matter what the uh, or whether they're good or bad, I think that matters more than any any amount of time you actually spent there as a student or not there as a student. Yeah, for sure. It's not, and as we always, I always like to say, it's not like a college team is going to move anytime soon. I actually know somebody who bases their fandom on the style of the hoodies, but uh, that, that, that might be a bit more, uh, that might be a bit more on the, on the, on the edge of it. James, I know you wanted to, 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 to follow up real quick and then we'll go over to Beck. Yeah. I just wanted to say like, I was a fan through the Rich Rod years and the Brady Hoke years so those were pretty terrible times uh, to be a fan. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I support Michigan basketball and the hockey team as well and lacrosse team. So it's not like I'm picking Michigan football and, and Duke basketball or anything, yeah. I promise. <laughs> no, no, trust me. I went to USC. I, basketball for the longest time was like, yeah, we're in the same city as UCLA. You know, that, that was kind of the summary of that was kind of the summary of and we some we usually lose to Loyola, Marymount, and Pepperdine. You know, they'll usually sucker punch us on occasion. You know, that, that was being a USC basketball fan for most of my time there. Yeah, and, and you know, my student years at USC were awful. The highlight of the years I was a student at USC was a loss. The, the only bowl game was a loss to WAC TCU. Um, not when they were in Mountain West or even in the uh, obviously not in the Big Twelve um, in the Sun Bowl. Which, you know, this is a weird year for the Sun Bowl because I, I was totally waiting for uh, Lane Kiffin to probably not Lane Kiffin he was already there. Probably, sorry, <laughs> Lincoln Riley to end up in the Sun Bowl only because he would follow uh, Paul Hackett uh, and uh, Lane Kiffin wearing the sombrero of shame, as I nicknamed it, in the photo op they do with the two head coaches wearing these giant sombreros and team colors to welcome them to the Sun Bowl. But at USC, that was always because something went really wrong that season. And um, no, instead we got a, a ranked versus ranked team. The first time I believe, gosh, it's ages because Oregon State and and Notre Dame are both ranked. And with the whole brouhaha with what happened to Florida State, you know, pushing all the ACC bids all over the place, that's how Notre Dame they didn't expect Notre Dame. Notre Dame ended up being in the Sun Bowl. Um, although with all the opt outs, I mean, both quarterbacks are not going to be in the game. In fact, you know, one's going to go to the NFL. I think one uh, Hartman and then the other is in the portal. So we'll, we'll see what teams actually show up. Um, I actually saw some, you know, real quick. I, I heard some really interesting analysis. I just want to put in the back of your heads that if you know the history of bowl games, they started as exhibitions to sort of show off areas. So they were always treated as kind of like a bonus after the season exhibition games. Maybe the players all got wasted the night before or who knows, but like you never, no one took the, the results seriously. And then by the sixties, they started taking, bowl results into consideration um and they weren't they weren't at the same time the ap started taking bowl results into their national championship consideration earlier than the coaches poll 
So that's why in 1973, you have a weird result where Alabama is number one in the coaches poll, but Notre Dame, which had just beat Alabama in the bowl game, is number one in the AP poll because they came out at different times and that was when their final poll was. So the reason I'm bringing all this up, so bowls originally started as kind of less relevant. The question is now with all of the uh, with all of the shakeups um, and all of the and I want to credit this the person I think I heard this from was Matt Brown at the Athletic, but the, the with all the uh, the shakeups with players just opting out of the lower bowls, not we're not talking the CFP. I mean, they've kind of gone to a bit of being like an exhibition again in the sense that, you know, we're not sure quite we're getting some version of these teams going there. And uh, that one stuck with me. I'll just put that in the back of your heads, but it's kind of a fascinating way to, to sort of think about bowl season nowadays. But Beck, you've been patient. What's going on? Hey, thank you. Uh, I wanted to talk about the two semifinal games, uh, Bama, Michigan at Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Saban is 11-1 and one when you give him more than three weeks to prepare. Uh, the only loss uh, to Utah in 2011, so, you know, over 10 years ago. Coach Saban is great at preparing the team, finding the vulnerabilities when you have, you know, time to prepare. Um, what we've seen with Michigan, um, you know, really the, the only uh, good win they have is Ohio State. You know, Penn State is always, um, you know, choking in the big games. So I don't even, you know, want to count that. And, and Iowa, obviously, uh, w- with a goose egg there in the championship game. A- am I crazy to think that, like, to me, it is so obvious that Bama is going to win that game? I mean, I've seen the Jalen Milrow at the SEC championship. I may be a little biased. I'm a Georgia fan, and, and we got our asses whooped. Um and it, I mean, Bama seems like they've progressed so much since week one. Um, and and Michigan, yeah, they've, you know, beaten everyone. But whoever they've beaten, like, they're not that good. And we've seen it throughout the season. And the second game, Texas is a four-point favorite. Um, you know, Washington is probably the luckiest team out there. You know, they, they won so many games by three or two or seven. Texas likes to live dangerously, too. I mean, it's going to be probably a shootout. But I feel like Washington's luck going to run out here in this final game for them. Um, and what do you think? Well, those are all, I mean, yeah, it's fun to kind of analyze this because I'm still on board with the fact that all four teams this year are closer than they have been in previous years. I mean, last year, it felt like TCU just sort of caught lightning in a bottle when they upset Michigan uh, in the semifinal. And then, you know, Cinderella turned back into, oh, everyone is like, you know, they, they turned back into a pumpkin right in time for uh, Georgia to smash it. Um, but the uh, at the same time, um, these four teams, all you, there, there's arguments for all of them. A part of the thing, and this is where it gets kind of mysterious, because heading into the, the semifinal, we have teams now coming out of deep from conference play. So... Florida, I mean, you know, pardon me. So with um, Alabama, you know, and the problem is with the way the SEC schedules, we didn't get a good read on Alabama outside of the SEC, but we saw that Auburn game, which, you know, again, yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of concern was raised in that game. But of course, as we, as you said, Saban's great at game planning. So when it came down to the game that was expected, um, he rose to the challenge. So again, I'm expecting him to come on, and that entire staff to be coming on all all cylinders when they get to the Rose Bowl. But with Michigan, you know, again, I think part of the problem is, again, Michigan, 
that uh, non-conference schedule at the beginning wasn't particularly strong. UNLV, sure, they ended up being a better team than expected. But, you know, with Ohio State, with Penn State, with Iowa towards the end, getting a clear read on Michigan has been a little difficult. At the same time, I think their defense has probably still been exceptional. It, it, I don't think we're misreading that. I don't Because we always get concerned when we're looking at Big Ten teams that, wow, these are all great defenses. And then you realize maybe they're all just playing kind of miserable offenses. That's why they look so good. And then you can put them in the bowl season and you see a completely different result. I'm not sure what to make of that. I don't know if I want to say that's happening this season. Similarly, before the season began, the uh, SEC didn't seem all that strong in its non-conference play. So have we kind of let that part go as the teams start getting in the conference play and the, the best of the of, of that particular conference started to rise to the top, obviously, with with Alabama and Georgia followed, you know, oddly enough, unexpectedly this season by Mizzou and and perhaps, you know, then LSU and, and Ole Miss and all of these teams. Um, you know, it's been interesting to see that. So I always get a little nervous that I'm reading too much into the, the reputation of the SEC um, playing that up. And again, I'm curious to see particularly the way the actually the, the the line play goes in this game because Alabama's defense is strong, um, and I wonder how it stacks up against the other three defenses that Michigan played because the, the, they also played three other top ten defenses in um, Iowa, Penn State, and Ohio State. With Penn State, we saw exactly what they did. They did that incredible decision to, and I don't know how much of this is also Sean Moore, but they decided to run the ball 32 straight times to finish the game. Ohio State, Ohio State was good at the run, so they started kind of, uh, and they were, they were better at the pass, and, you know, the Wolverines managed to kind of scrape out a win with Iowa again. You know, Iowa's defense gave them some problems, but again, they were able to, the thing with Michigan is they're able to win ugly, so, and their defense is so good it keeps them in the game. So I'm kind of curious to see defense on def defenses and how much they control that game and how well, um, especially the Michigan front seven, which is excellent, can get back there and start to create perhaps a little bit of disruption for Jalen Milrow to put him in a little more of a panic mode, um, although he's very good on his feet. I mean, it's so funny. Sometimes you'll see analysis where they're like, well, the Michigan, pardon me, the, the, the Alabama offensive line allowed, you know, all these sacks. I'm like, yeah, they did earlier in the season. And then the kind of, you know, Tommy Reese adjusted the offense. Milrow started to move around and suddenly the sacks dropped by quite a lot. So it's, it, I always feel like when people were bringing up the, the sacks allowed by the, uh, the Alabama offensive line, it was a little bit deceptive to how they were playing at the beginning of the season versus how they're playing now. And, I, and just to jump to the other game, that's the one, you know, going to the Sugar Bowl, Washington, I agree, they're lucky. They're not quite TCU lucky where they were winning some games by insane fashion last season. But they do feel like they, they get a lot of luck there, especially um, based on the, the, the skill of Michael Penix Jr. He is by far, of the four quarterbacks, the one who seems to have that ability to make magic happen when it needs to. Like the, the play where he, he handed off to Roma Tunze, that was his call in a pivotal moment in the Pac-12 title game and, and some of the other throws he's made. I agree with where he fell in the Heisman voting, but at the same time, he certainly had those kinds of, of moments. And I think going against Texas, um, he's he's going to be the, the reason they win or lose. It, it, and I hate saying that, saying the quarterback is the reason, you know, is going to make or break a game is sometimes the weak answer. But of all the four teams in the playoff right now, He's the one who I think like, no, no, it really is going to fall on him um, because the rest of the Washington team is good. It's not bad. They have exceptional receivers, Roma Dunze again uh, at all. But at the same time, I think 
Texas is a bit more even. Um, they have a l- probably more depth. We saw what they did to Alabama earlier in the season. Um, some of the strengths, uh, again, I don't know, Tavondre Sweat, uh, uh, Sweat and Brian Murphy are just on another league on that uh, defensive line and their ability to get in and disrupt the way they do. That was why that was why Arizona State was able to challenge Washington. For those who may not remember but or may not have seen the game really late because it was a really late night game, uh, well, Arizona State nearly beat Washington, and Washington only won because of a pick six. Like their offense was getting nothing done against the Sun Devils. And the reason why is they were able to pressure up the middle and disrupt what was going on in the backfield for Washington. That was with Arizona State's talent. And looking at what I'm sure every team that has played Washington since has paid attention to that game, and with the talent Texas has, if they can get that going, um, and they certainly could with the quality of players they have, that could be a a difference for them. Now, again, every coach in this playoff is very competent, so I'm sure they're game planning around it, um, probably figuring out ways to get things around the edge and kind of uh, probably give up on the center against Texas. But... I mean, I'd say of the two games, I'm a little more I'm a little more concerned about how Washington's going to stack up, stack up against Texas than I am about how either of the other two teams in the Rose Bowl are going to do. I think those guys are evenly matched, and I could see strong strong reasons and and and, and depth that would give either uh, Michigan or Alabama the strength there. It'll be really curious to see how they go out. Sorry, that was a really kind of broad question because you're kind of like, how do they see how do these how do the semifinals look? I mean, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, right? yeah. No, yeah, that, that was good. Um, I, I, I'll stick with probably Bama winning. I Michigan hasn't impressed me uh, on the offense. I, I think only three passes from uh, uh, the QB in the last three games. I mean, one one pass touchdown. You know, one guy to look out for when we're looking, by the way, at Michigan, and, and I should mention this, is just, first of all, they have A.J. Barnard, but they also have Colston Loveland. They're two tight ends. And Loveland has really kind of stepped up his game in the second half of the season. And tight ends were what were the Achilles heel of Alabama when Texas beat them. Because the Texas's biggest receiver in that game was Jatavion Sanders. Um and again, I'm, I'm sure Saban isn't an idiot. He probably figured out, they probably worked on how to, to correct that issue. But that's going to be one interesting kind of matchup only because it's going to be a, uh, it's going to be an, it, it's going to be a team that has a very good tight end and will definitely try to use that to their advantage in, in an attempt to kind of open up that field. Yeah. But let's see. I want to let up uh, RJ. You've been super patient. And, uh, and after RJ, I'll let up Nate. Um, but again, if you, if you want to talk, just hit request, we'll get you up here. We'll add you to the conversation. It's always good hearing from all of you. RJ, what's going on? Yo, what's going on? I'm glad we got the important national championship discussion out of the way so we can talk some G5 now. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, but yeah, one of the things that honestly has been stuck in my head for the past 24 hours is with the playoff expanding next year basically we have completely just said we're pulling the rug out from bowl season and we're basically saying that yeah all the like pompons to your point earlier about kind of bowl season used to be a true celebration of football in the sense of the coaches and players will all go out get smashed before and then play the most hungover football of their life and slowly the games have as the money's come in the games have mattered more and more because for a lot of these schools that paycheck meant something But one of the things that's been interesting to think about is 
thinking less about your sugar bowls, your rose bowls and all that, but kind of your pre-Christmas bowl games, your Bahamas bowl, your, you know, rip the beef O'Brady's bowl, but you know, those type of bowls were huge for a lot of like mid-tier G5 programs because that's part of like kept their athletic departments afloat was we're going to go win six games. We're going to go to a bowl. And that's going to give us a cash flow of like four to five years in these athletics programs, particularly football. So one of the things I'm curious about is just as we project out into five years, like how many of these G5 programs we kind of think about, you know, like our, we love our Maction. We love our Sunbelt. People stay up late watching Hawaii games. How many of them are particularly the private, like private or lesser state funded ones are going to see like, not just like hits to the quality of football, but yo, these schools might actually lose football or lose other sports that are critical to them because the playoff expanded to 12 teams. Not to say, oh, they lost it because they had a shot at the playoff but didn't make it, but because we've expanded to 12 teams, now these X amount of games matter and these ones don't. And things like the sun to the point, the Sun Bowl that used to be fun because, oh, cool, Lincoln Riley, you just had here. Or, uh oh, Josh Heupel turned to a pumpkin again. You're going to another bowl game that we don't care about. Um, those type of bowl games now are completely irrelevant. Not to say that people cared about them a whole lot before, but the money that used to be behind them is no longer going to be there because all that money is going to go towards how can we get sponsorships to these extended playoff games. So just as we think about kind of the future of G5 and particularly a lot of these coaching moves where people are leaving right now, we're seeing an FCS, but how close are we to seeing G5 head coaches leave schools to take non-coordinator, non-head coach positions at not even P like P4, P5, whatever we call it now, but take like your linebackers coach, your wide receivers coach at, Mm. A lower play at a lower playoff school just because the money isn't there, not just to like, oh, have a fighting chance, but the money isn't even there to sustain a program. That's one of the things that I know is really a hard question to touch on because we're combining a whole bunch of things we don't know, but just one of the unspoken elements of expansion that I'm curious to see you guys' thoughts on. Yeah, no, that's a there's a lot of good um, elements to that, and um. You know, the first thing that that struck me was, oh, by the way, before I mention it, and it, only because I have to I have to just give a quick shout out to Steve Spurrier, because when I saw that Tennessee was going to the Citrus Bowl, his infamous quote was, you can't spell Citrus Bowl without UT as kind of a dig at the the, the Tennessee rivalry. But um, seeing them there was kind of funny. But again, uh, it's it's a better bowl than most. So, again, it's a New Year's Day bowl for the record. But um Going back to the, you know, I think the the G5 Bowl thing is an interesting question. I think the question is, will they still pay out the way they do? Because that's ultimately what's going to be the value to keeping those bowls around and keeping the G5 teams and, frankly, any team going to these bowls. Because that was one of the ways they would incentivize teams to come visit, you know, Pasadena or come visit, you know, back in the day when bowls were kind of a new thing. And, and, and even as these new bowls were added, you have to incentivize the teams, especially the FBS programs, because no one wants to really lose money and and sometimes if it's a close deal maybe they figure okay if we generate some excitement we might get some more donations etc but historically um particularly before i would say the bigger proliferation of bulls in the last 20 years there were teams that would turn down bulls for various reasons i remember when ucla 
um, turned down the what is the well what we know as the potato bowl because it was just going to be too costly to ship the team up to Boise and they just didn't see the benefit, the net benefit for the program. They decided not to move forward with it. So you'd see situations like that. Um, you'd see occasionally teams turn down bowls, but now there's so many bowls and the opportunity to get the extra, I think, practice days is, is sort of uh, moved beyond that. But in a lot of ways, it's also the payouts. And to some extent, it has to do with distance. I mean, certainly at this point, even though the Bulls may not be as important for a lot of programs, I think they uh, they still have a lot of value, if any, for the ability to practice, the ability to kind of finish up strong, maybe get, a, if you've lost some players to the portal or players who have um, decided to opt out, you can still get reps with younger players and it's it's above board. You know, you can you can get that extra experience. From what I understand, that that extra practice session has has sort of increased the value of it and kind of especially a lot of coaches want that. Um but there's also good matchups too. I mean, we certainly, without a doubt, and and some teams are extremely excited to be there. I mean, Jacksonville State was not qualified originally to go bowling, but because there were short bowl teams, they get to go as an eight and fourteen in the New Orleans Bowl. Their first ever bowl game is an FBS program. That's going to be exciting for them. And you know, when you think about the way that a lot of the bowls actually select their teams, not just in conference championships, but once you get beyond them, you start to pick them based on who you think will put butts in seats. Now. I want to qualify. There's a chunk of bulls that were created by ESPN to create TV content because as long as they have people will still watch them on TV, they'll still get that kind of money. And that money gets paid to the teams, paid sometimes to the teams directly, sometimes to the conferences to be distributed to the teams. There's some kind of, I, I don't know all the contracts perfectly well. I do freely admit that. So there are those games as well. I mean, there's plenty of those. I mean, uh, Gosh, with the Camellia Bowl. It's so funny, too, when we were doing some investigation on bowls, you, you find out a lot of them are just run by, I don't know if they still call it that, but it's a division called ESPN Events, and they were the ones that were kind of arranging these bowl games, the ones that were kind of being added on the edges. I'm pretty um, sure that still exists, because I think I've seen them doing some others. Like, Yeah, some, I, I, they, exactly. And I, I should say they exist, but like they exist, but they. Uh, I wasn't sure if they kept the same name. And the thing is, that's all they do. They create content for television. Um, and when they want to, of course, you want to put the more ones that are still kind of independently run, like the Independence Bowl, uh, coincidentally, they do care about putting butts in seats because, you know, they do. They still have their original mission, which is trying to get people to go to Shreveport um, and uh, and see how wonderful it is. Um, I'm not trying to be ironic, but uh, and then, you know, sometimes they get stuck with with Cal, uh, which I was going to I was about to say, like, that is 100 percent true. Everything you said. And also, I'm now imagining UC Berkeley students in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, there are going to be too many of them. That was that was one of Larry Scott's great moments when he announced that the Pac-12 was adding a new bowl game, and it was the Independence Bowl. And everyone was like, "Wait, what? <laughs> you know, the the Pac-12 and Shreveport are nowhere near each other, and you're trying to get. I mean, you know, there was a whole whole level of that. Um, but that that's one of Larry Scott's specialities, uh, and we we all know how that all turned out. But overall, I think, you know, going back to the just the solvency in general, because you brought up also just sort of the general solvency of, of G5 programs. It's going to be curious to see how things work out with, you know, we heard, we saw the Charlie Baker proposal that came out last week, the idea of creating what most people had expected, some level of G, of uh, new division for the very top teams and how many of those teams can make it up there. Um it's a way to kind of save a lot of the other programs in a weird way, because if some of these lawsuits that are currently filed go the way they probably will, it's going to create some level of 
Now, I know the NCAA wants to not call them employees, but something very close to an employee relationship where they have to, to put in revenue and spend a lot more on the players. And while, you know, uh, Michigan, uh, UCLA to some extent, uh, and, you know, Alabama can afford that, it's going to be impossible for, especially because you have to remember the NCAA has D2, D3, these, these programs can't possibly do that. Um, so the idea of just separating them off into their own zone um, might insulate some of these other programs because certainly a lot of the G5 programs can't do that. It just they they simply can't. It would um, it would potentially bankrupt programs, and uh, we or at the very least we'd see severe drops in so many of the other sports uh, for a lot of reasons, including they also have to maintain Title IX. So you have to keep around some women's sports, but you know that might be at the expense of a lot of other programs or just the bare minimum of what it could take to keep the the one moneymaker or two moneymakers, if you include basketball, moving. There's a lot going on in that question, so I'm going to kind of wrap it slightly there just because I want to allow some of the other folks who are here to to join us on stage. But it's a great question, and, and in the next few years, it's going to be fascinating to see how, because if you really want to go more macro here, the process of cord cutting, the process of how people consume sports media has changed a lot and when we were looking at these new tv contracts the ones that caused uh the right i mean the big 10 and the, the sec to move even beyond the others as well as the kind of disintegration of the pac-12 one of the things that was coming up when the pac-12 before it disintegrated when the pac-12 deals were kind of being discussed people were to held what's going to happen in, in about 10 years or whenever they have to start renegotiating and if demographic shifts in TV viewership change the way they do, especially with, I should say, the method in how people uh, watch TV, it it's not clear that the same TV deals can be made. And it was kind of interesting, too, because if you all remember, Apple and, and Amazon were discussed for the Pac-12, but Apple was one of the primary ones. And that model, you know, it was interesting to hear some of the analysis. It, the money wasn't quite there compared to normal uh, terrestrial TV, but... Uh, a lot of folks were like, realistically, though, next time we probably look at TV contracts, that's going to be where a lot of the money is coming from. Maybe they'll be able to up the, the the offer to make it more competitive. But if if we see cable numbers going the way they are and uh, people move to streaming, that's going to actually have another bigger question all of it. And if that money pool shrinks, then suddenly these bulls start to have an interesting question mark around them. Suddenly, you know, all of these programs are counting on these TV payouts are going to have a lot more of a question around them. The The top of the programs will probably still be okay, but you then have to look towards the back and towards the G5 and where they go. But that's a huge question, and, and I apologize for the rambling answer, but the, there's a lot going on there. But thank you for asking that one. No, all good. Thank you for breaking it down, because there's definitely a whole, whole lot to talk about for things we don't know yet. Absolutely. Thanks so much, RJ. I really appreciate you joining us. So, Nate, what's going on? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really disappointed I missed last week with all the playoff chaos and my Longhorns got in, but I'm sure it was a riveting discussion and I hope there were some controversial arguments in here. Oh my goodness, you would not believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually real fun. We have for the heck of it, I, I on the, the Sunday night as soon as the last uh as the ACC title game went final. I opened a space just to see, and boy, did people want to talk. And I don't think at any point any of us seriously fathomed that uh, the four teams were going to be selected the way they were. But 
C'est la vie. But what's on your mind? Yeah, I, I saw that you 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 had the uh you had that talk come up. I was actually at the Big Twelve Championship game, and it was a long weekend, and I I was probably passed out on this couch by seven p.m. Um, but anyways, the the question I had was um. I want to know from you, what are some of the bowl games you're looking forward to for different reasons? Um, and so I'm going to start with first, no New Year's Six or playoff games. Um, so what's the bowl game you're looking forward to to watch the most that's just pure, just like going to be a good game, good football? Um, second, what's the one you're most looking forward to What where I always love the bowl game where it's like, these guys have got nothing to lose. Like, you know, they're going for two every time trick plays left and wide, right. It's 40, 40, you know, at, in the third quarter, it's just, it's just fun backyard football. And then third, what's going to be just the weird bowl game, whether it's just, why are these two teams playing each other or the coach that's going to do something weird or I, I don't know, just the, the, just something interesting is going to happen, you know, through it or, or at the mm-hmm. end of it. I want to hear those three from you. Boy, that and I might ask you to remind me of the categories, but the one that's got me probably the most excited for just the pure football, even though it's going to be missing one of the two quarterbacks, is uh, the Alma Bowl with Arizona against Oklahoma, because there's still a lot of excitement there. And I know Oklahoma's excited about the other quarterbacks they have, and, and what we've seen um, with Arizona has been absolutely fascinating after they changed, obviously, the quarterback um, and just how they've been playing with Noah Fafida um, has made them an exciting program that, you know, they're, for those who know, they've lo- they lost three times. Um, two of them were in overtime, second game of the season the Missis- at Mississippi State, and that was before they figured out, you know, they had a star in the making with Noah Fafida, and then in triple overtime to USC, and then the third loss was still a, a decently close loss uh, to Washington, which is in the playoffs. So that's an extremely strong team. Oklahoma, Obviously, is one the the one Texas loss, um, and has also put up some good games for the most part. They had a couple of obviously they dropped another, and uh, they've had some issues here and there. But I think to just watch those two square off from pure football, that one I like a lot. Um, in terms of just kind of fun stories, I'm I'm kind of hyped for the New Mexico Bowl uh, because New Mexico State's going to be there. And I, for those who know, that's not they're not like it's not in Albuquerque, they're in Las Cruces, but. Just to watch them go back-to-back bowl games to see what uh, um, what Kill has done over there, and Fresno State's interesting too because they were one of the the teams that seemed before the season had one of the shots at, at reaching the G five spot in the New Year's Six. Then something just sort of weird happened to them. I'm not sure what, but I, I, so those of you who may have noticed because they they lost a close one at Wyoming when why it seemed like it was going to be either Wyoming or Air Force or Fresno State winning the Mountain West. And then obviously the Mountain West turned into a UNLV versus Boise State fight. But setting that aside, something just kind of broke at Fresno State in the last three games because they dropped at San Jose State. The New Mexico game really made no sense because New Mexico has been a pretty miserable program overall, and they just dumped their coach. And then they lost at San Diego State and and sent Brady Hoke out a winner. But at the end of the season, Jeff Tedford announces that he's taking a medical leave. It sounds like he's medically retiring. Um, they've got an interim now, so I'm wondering now how much of that that kind of messy end to their season was that, um, and in something perhaps going on off the, you know, I'm very curious. I'm sure maybe the Fresno Bee or, or one of the papers there will write up about that, but I'm kind of curious to see how that game works out, only for the two teams and their individual stories. Now, the one where 
gosh, what's one where I don't know what to even make of it? And I don't know how that, you know, this is a tough one because I immediately want to go to some of the, the, the oddball teams that were sent in places that don't make sense. How can you imagine SMU? They were supposed to, if they had managed to beat Tulane, they would have been the, uh, pardon me, they did beat Tulane. So, excuse what I just said. They should have been to some people in the New Year's Six. Instead, uh, after beating Tulane, they get bypassed by undefeated Liberty despite the schedule of Liberty. And again, Liberty is an exciting program. They've got, a, you know, Caden uh, Salter. They've got a lot of good uh Program. They've got a good program. They've got good talent. They just had an unfortunately weak schedule for the way Conference USA turned out and their non-conference schedule. So despite getting to 11-2, and two, they get sent to Fenway, uh, and they're going to be playing on December 28th against the hometown Boston College. Uh, you know, 6-6, I, I, it's a weird matchup, and it's a future conference game. So next season, they'll be conference mates. But um, that one, to me, is probably the oddest pairing only because to see SMU get so close to the near six and then get sent to Boston, which again, probably because they're from Dallas. If it were another cold weather team, I would be less. I mean, it's also funny, just a quick shout out to Miami being sent to the pinstripe bowl on the same day, um, almost at the same time to face hometown Rutgers, so to speak, if you consider Rutgers a New York team, um, <laughs> both those teams, man, they got, they got sent out to them, you know, extremely different climates for what, is not typically what you expect for a bowl season celebration. Uh, Nate, I see your hand up, and then I'll get to Mac. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for that response. I, I, ask, I want to ask one more. Um, I'm going to break my rule because I am actually curious. I'm sure you guys probably talked about it last week, but um, what's going to happen with the Florida State-Georgia game? And, you know, because after, you know, after everything that went down, I saw one of the pictures of when they were doing the uh, Orange Bowl interview. Um and it just seemed like both uh, Norvell and Kirby Smart were just not happy of how things ended up. So, you know, both teams are definitely playing for, well, I mean, I, I think and hope they're going to be playing for some pride. So is that going to be a weird one or is that just going to be hopefully a good game because both teams want to prove something? I hope it's a good game. I don't know what we're going to get. Um, I, I don't know who's going to be playing for Georgia. And that's that kind of goes back to the, the whole situation. We're going to get a version of each of these teams. Um, Florida State certainly has more to play for because they're still trying to play in a way. I mean, things would have to go wildly chaotic in the those semifinals and the, the final for them to have a shot to necessarily split the title. I, I don't think that would happen only because the quality of the games um, in the semifinals is very good. And whoever comes out of both of those is going to have a very strong argument and probably convince um, most of the press. But I'm sure there will also be people, just like with UCF in the 2017-18 season, who will, who will give them a championship if they manage to beat Georgia. But still, Georgia is a strong team. Florida State's defense is exceptional. I was not entirely impressed by what we saw from Rodemaker against Florida, but, you know, um, he's better than Brock Glenn. So uh, I'm curious to see. I, I, there's so much mystery to that game and how those teams are going to treat it, just like any bowl season um, that isn't the semifinal, that um, I guess we'll just have to unfortunately wait and see. I hope it's a great game. Um, it should be. It's certainly by far hands down out of the semifinal, the most interesting game. But I didn't mention it for the reasons you said you didn't want to talk about the New Year's Six. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious if uh, if Georgia ends up losing, if Kirby Smart's going to pull up the excuse our players didn't want to be here. Like, uh, what was it the 2018-2019 Sugar Bowl against Texas? That that comment really kind of irked some of us Texas fans. So we'll, we'll, Oh, we'll, yeah. I can we'll imagine that. that. 
Hey, RJ, I see your hand up. I'll let you have a quick uh, word. And then, Mac, I'd uh, love to hear from you. Yeah, I'll be quick. Just going back to bowl games with propensity to get real stupid. The Duke's Mayo Bowl does PR better than anyone, but UNC West Virginia, a uh, very high likelihood both those teams are like, oh, we've got to play defense again. And even without Drake May, that can get really dumb really quickly. Because if you look at both of these opponents' points allowed number, opponent points scored numbers, it looks like two sevens, and then the numbers get really high really quickly. So I would pay attention to that one because that could be a 50-49 overtime type of game. Oh, I hope so. That would be so fun because West Virginia is a team that did a lot better than they expected. North Carolina fell short of where they expected, and they're both 8-4. and four. And I agree. The Charlotte Sports Foundation, which runs the Duke's Mayo Bowl, formerly the Bulk Bowl, is phenomenal. Um, I'm on pretty good terms with uh, one of their the guy who helps run their social media, the one who most people know because don't know is my name, but Miller Yoho is the reason why their Twitter account's always been so hilarious. And uh, love that guy. Love love the work they do there. And um, the Mayo Dunk was hilarious when they did it. And they they wanted to do it, I believe, earlier than they did. It took so much negotiation because the NFL team did not want any Mayo to actually touch the field itself. So that's why it's done off the field over concrete. Um, it was it. They told me the negotiation process was just ridiculous on to get that mayo dump to actually happen. So, uh, just wanted to mention that. Mac, what's going on? Thank you for your patience. Oh, you guys, welcome up. How's everyone doing? Great. So, I did have a idea for the non-playoff bowl games. I was thinking maybe along the lines we get rid of the bowl tie-ins and then just have two tiers. Maybe one tier where you have six to eight wins and then the other tier of nine plus wins. And then like on that Sunday after they draw the names for the playoff, just randomly up select them like bingo. That's neat, but I can tell you a lot of the bowl games would be really angered because, you know, what if you get a team that's going to have to travel in that like six loss from the six win category, however you want to cut it, um, to <laughs> get sent across the nation? Because um, I think there, there is so much weird politicking that happens with bowl games, and it's fascinating. We got a little slice of it only because the ACC had to really quickly change all of their plans um, beforehand, um, which, again, is why Louisville found themselves playing a uh, USC team that isn't going to have uh, Caleb Williams on it, you know, in the holiday bowl. I forgot where they were originally going to go. Like there was a lot of this, a lot of interesting reporting there, but it's a fun idea. It is a real fun idea to imagine that. Like could you, I would almost want them not even like bingo. I'd want like a wheel of fortune or, or, you know, like I used to watch, I used to live in California growing up. They used to do the big spin, which is if you won the lottery, like some version of the California lottery, there'd be a show where literally you just see somebody sp- like, it would be like the, the big money wheel on prices, right? Okay. Except sideways. But you know, just roll that, and then you'd see, like, the horror coming over a coach's face when they realize where they have to go. Um, there's a lot of potential there for just wha- being totally wacky, although not sure how much it would – I think there would be a bit of a revolt with fans and, and coaches. and, and especially, Well, coaches probably wouldn't care, but fans and uh, the bowl uh, hosts would probably be the most annoyed by that because you could really set up some sparsely attended games. I mean, you can always trade between the bowls as well. Oh, I like that. Yeah, make it like some sort of big, can you imagine? It just turns into some really weird nationwide trading system with all the, because there's so many teams now, you know, there's what, like 82 spots. You're going to have all the, you know, you're going to have tiers of this. You're going to have like 20 teams trading among themselves, to try and come up with the best solution and who can go where. Oh, that could be really entertaining though. Can you imagine that? And some teams going to be angry. 
Some teams are going to be happy. Maybe some coach is just better at negotiating, or some AD is better at negotiating than others. You know, make those ADs earn their paychecks as though raising money constantly isn't part of what they do. But, you know, make them make them have one more stupid step in their job. Yeah. Um, and, hey, if you and your rival haven't played during the regular season, you two automatically play in a bowl game. That would be, could you imagine? That's like a way to force, like, Bedlam back together again. It's like, oh, you guys both made balls, so we're going to just pair you two up. Sorry, you get no choice in it. You just get to all. Oh, you guys just get to choose where you play. We're gonna play Bedlam in Yankee Stadium. Um, <laughs> gosh, dare to dream. I now want to see that happen. I want to see like just some unexpected rivalry reemerge in Fenway Park. Um, and just some uh, some place that just doesn't make any sense. Let, let's do that. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. <laughs> Um, hey Nate, I see your hand up. Did you want to add something to this? Yeah, I like the whole uh, I like the whole trading thought, but do it like Dirty Santa style. So like you can like steal like the bull, like trade it with with another team, but you only get one of those. So like you trade your way to like getting to go to the Bahamas, but then like Toledo <laughs> comes and steals it away from you. I think that'd be that'd be fun. You know, and here's where it gets funny because there was a quirk in the BCS ages ago that no. I think most of the Bulls either forgot that it was in their contract or what, because we're re- this is before they kind of rejiggered and added a, a fifth BCS game to have a title game separate from the, the four major Bulls that were in it. And it, it came in 2002. 2002, um, and I forgot exactly how it... Oh, because the, the Rose Bowl was going to host the national championship. So the Pac-12 team didn't necessarily go there. It was something like that. And I apologize. I'm, I actually, no, no, pardon me. Wazoo made the Pac-12 title game. So they were going to be... or There was a title game, but the, the Pac-12 championship. So they got to play in the uh, the Rose Bowl. So there was a question of who they were going to play. Um, Ohio State went to the national championship. So they were going to have an open spot. They were planning to select Iowa because Iowa was also going to be in uh, one of the, the the top four bowls. And suddenly, Iowa, pardon me, the Orange Bowl pulled a contract uh, stipulation that said once every four years, or once it was, you think even longer than that, any of those bowls could pick twice in a row. So they picked USC, which they were expected to do, and then they immediately picked Iowa, which completely angered the Rose Bowl. So you ended up with USC, Iowa in the Orange Bowl. And it was the first time, it's happened since, but it was the first time the Heisman winner and the Heisman runner-up were on opposite sides of the field, like right after the award ceremony, because it was Carson Palmer on one side, and um, I think it was uh, Brad Banks. Um, I forgot his name, but he was this great quarterback at Iowa. And so they got to play in a really heated Orange Bowl. And it was... And to be fair, this was not Oklahoma's fault. So Oklahoma ended up going to the Rose Bowl that year. And they were able to fill their slot. By all accounts, and Wazoo fans get very defensive about this, that was a Rose Bowl where they weren't able to sell it entirely out. And the the onus always seems to point towards Wazoo not being able to sell their section of the stadium, which, again, the Rose Bowl of all things. Like, that's a that's not a very common trip for a lot of programs, especially when the Pac-10 and the Pac-12 were around. Um, but yeah, that was one of those rare times where we had a, a bull decide to pull basically that kind of a, a bad Santa move and just yank or dirty Santa move and just yank it from, um, the Rose bowl, which, you know, the Rose bowl, for those who don't know, they are the stodgiest of the stodgy, the most serious of the serious. They're the whole reason are, and they are the reason why we ended up with a 14 playoff rather than a 16 playoff. Um, they wanted to keep their, their spot very open and they were only willing to negotiate with the other bowls to create the playoff 
if they could protect their status. And that was one of the main reasons why we ended up with four teams, which for the most part, kind of other than that first year with the whole uh, uh, Baylor uh, TCU situation and uh, this exact year and its final year had had more or less worked out. But just wanted to throw that out there. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to let up Ski Mask Smurphy. Um, thank you all for your patience. It's always great talking to you. But uh, Ski Mask Smurphy, what's on your mind? Throughout the course of this, but I just want to hear your opinion on sort of how long do you think it is before the rest of the bowl season collapses under the playoff, especially considering that um, I guess ESPN sort of holds the contracts to all of it currently, and if they might see the rest of the bowl season as disposable. I mean, it's an interesting question. I I don't know if it's um. Uh, there are, uh, it isn't necessarily, there are, there's like, I think a handful that aren't ESPN, but yeah, most of them are. Um, but I, I don't think they're going to necessarily collapse. I think it's a matter of, will the market support it? Will they, if, as long as people keep watching these games, they're going to still pay for them. Cause I mean, what's their alternative? I mean, that, that I kind of get on in my own mind on ESPN, cause there's some other interesting stuff out there that they could broadcast. And like, I, again, I'm going to nerd out. I get into the fact that there's college football in places like Japan and they play it at, you think the Hawaii test is bad? Try the Kobe or Osaka test where it goes until like four in the morning. I'm like, why doesn't ESPN just pay them a teensy bit of money and put those games on in the middle of the night? Because what else are they broadcasting at like three in the morning? So, you know, as long as they can get people to watch it, as long as people are still tuning in, um, I think the the bad the the sign that's gonna be the most ominous for the the minor bowl games would be if we started to see a real dip in TV viewership. On the positive side, by all accounts, across every network, across, I mean, not just ESPN, but across, you know, uh, CBS, across Fox, TV viewership for college football is the strongest it's ever been. And that is a huge, huge deal, because that means if that continues with the bowl games, even the minor bowl games, people just want to watch some good college football, maybe not good college football, but college football in general, you know, that means money will come in. So as long as the money keeps flowing in that direction, it'll be good. If kind of going to the more ominous view I had, if this whole cable TV payment model can't find a sufficient replacement and there is a lesser pool of money to go around, when we get to the TV negotiations, when we get to, well, how much are these bowls actually going to pay out? That will be when we'll start to perhaps see either lower bowl payouts or some of the bowls just ceasing to exist. But at this point, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to gra- jump on the doom and gloom because I think people will just watch these some of these games for the, the the entertainment, maybe the sickos entertainment of it or just the, you know, something to put on the background around the holidays because a lot of these bowls, for the most part, are clustered around the holidays when you're kind of sitting at home, perhaps with family. Um, and you're just looking for something to watch. I mean, it's the whole Egg Bowl thing. I mean, Egg Bowl, you know it's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be wild. And it's going to be on Thanksgiving, and you can watch it. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I, but it's, it's a legit question. I mean, I, I don't know. What, is there a reason Scheme asks Murphy? Because, I mean, obviously, you're not the first one to say this, but what's got you concerned about it? Well, it's just because <clears throat> well, during over the course of college, I had it come up a few different times as far as um, research projects and that, I did see that basically once the 14 playoffs started, basically it's been sort of like a slow grind of the view, the TV viewership of the bowl games, just slowly progressing down outside of really the New Year's Six, just slowly going down in terms of millions of views, which is a lot of cable cutting, but also in terms of uh, 
like that Nielsen share rating. They've all been slowly going down. And I just think it may not be sustainable. And I and also just because knowing like recently someone put out like a financial information that like ESPN is really Disney's whole uh like money maker and they may get shrewd and just what what's the guy's name, Bob Iger. And they may yeah. just be shrewd and say, um, Oh, these bowl games aren't for us because I mean it's gonna be two seasons and I think with these two seasons we'll see how it works out. Because if there's not any viewership, you know, people may lose and just be like, these games really don't matter. And yeah. we got like, you know, you know, 12, eight games that really do matter. We're going to watch those in December versus these. I don't know how much longer it's going to last. Yeah, it's, it is a good concern. And then you kind of got me thinking, too, because clearly ESPN and, and other broadcasters have found money in putting, you know, some of these minor games during the season on just wild nights like Tuesday, Wednesday. Um and there is some way they're able to clearly the numbers work for them. Just putting that game on at night, you know, granted it's a conference game anyway. So the teams are happy. They're going to have to play the game anyway. They were happy to move it just to get the TV exposure, probably at some reasonable deal that allows, you know, they can say to the recruits, Hey, well, you, you, you're going to be on a prime time game. Um, even if it is on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, but with these bowl games, I mean, again, I'd be curious to see. And you brought up something interesting, too, because after the – and I, I had a friend who worked at one of the major sponsors of bowl games. They don't sponsor bowl games anymore, but they were a major sponsor that had sponsored a new, number of, of, of high-end bowls. And they were able to move up in the pecking order after the playoffs were created because suddenly the price for sponsorship of the non-playoff bowls – had had actually dropped a little bit. They'd been devalued. And that was immediate. That was actually before they'd even played any of the games. So that that was an interesting effect. And I guess maybe that was also just sort of, you know, they they projected what they were going to do. But again, I agree with you, right? It'll be interesting to see if this I'm very curious to see if this rise in TV viewership over the season, how that translates into bowl season with the minor bowls. Not again, not the C I I probably the CFP matchups are so good that I I expect this to be a banner year for them. Um, maybe not that first. That first year was off the chart because I think people were the novelty of it was just exciting. And then they nearly blew it all up by having the stupid idea of the next year putting the semifinals on New Year's Eve in the evening. Like, oh, yeah, people are totally going to give up. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that was crazy. That, that, that was one of the worst college football decisions almost ever. They sounded so stupid when they were trying to sell that one. And I remember they hired all those people, like they hired Jimmy Kimmel. They hired all these like big names to try and sell people on it. It's like, no one's going to do that. Are you crazy? Like, that's that's like, you know, you might as well. You know, there's a oh, gosh, they, very few things can can succeed there. that They certainly weren't going to. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting point. I'm very curious to see. I think that now you've got me super curious to see how the playoff ranking, pardon me, how the, the minor bowl TV rankings are going to look, um, the, especially the Nielsen shares. Uh, after this, uh, after this month, uh, John, uh, you wanted to come back up. Um, I'm going to slowly start wrapping this up, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, well, first things first, I know, uh, ski mask and others were talking about, you know, uh, viewership and bowl games. I, I would say, man, never underestimate the sickos of college football, including myself. I mean, just the, the same sport where people are watching, you know, spring football and <laughs> watching, you know, watching the combine, just watching dudes work out for NFL teams. I mean, that the fact that that gets put on, on NFL network and national, and, you know, for everyone to watch every year, I think really speaks to the fact of how much, how much free time, um, uh, sickos in the sport has. So I, I would, I, I, that's one thing I'm honestly not worried about. 
Um, I did have a quick uh, two uh, part of question for you. Um, first being, uh, what game this Saturday are you most excited for? And the second being, um, if there's one bowl game you would never want to be sent to as a player, which one would it be and why? <laughs> you know, I guess, I, and I mentioned earlier that New Mexico Bowl got me interested. So I am curious to see how New Mexico State does because the idea of going to 11 wins, I don't know if they've ever done that before. Um, it might have been an ancient times when New Mexico State won that far. So I'm a big fan of Jerry Kill. I'm curious to see how they go. But it's it's actually a good slate of bowls altogether. I mean, um, I already mentioned Jacksonville State getting a play in their first bowl uh, in the New Orleans Bowl and the Superdome. That's always good. You know, here's a fun one. I, I, I don't necessarily know how much I'm going to watch it, but uh, I, I'm probably going to have to make a, a graphic I'm going to tweet out later because the – L.A. Bowl has one of the quirkiest things I've ever seen. So for those who may not be familiar with geography in Los Angeles really well um, or just familiar, UCLA does not play anywhere near their campus. UCLA share actually plays in the Rose Bowl. Historically, they actually started playing college football in the L.A. Coliseum, which is right next to USC, roughly, let's say, 10 miles away. So they they for until roughly 19, I think it's 1982, They've shared the L.A. Coliseum, which was kind of a funny situation. So the L.A. Coliseum would have to alternate who was playing home games there. And then when they would play, that's why they were two of the teams that had historically originated the home-on-home color uh, scheme because they shared the same stadium. Then in 1982-83, they decided to move to the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl historically had only been used for the Rose Bowl game. Financially, that was getting harder for them to maintain the stadium and just use that situation. So UCLA was looking for a new home, their own dedicated home, so they started playing their games there. The problem is that's like 20 miles away from the UCLA campus, and with L.A. traffic, that's a horrible drive. Now, the L.A. Bowl, just like last year's national championship, is in SoFi Stadium, that brand-new stadium they built, uh, NFL, it's an awesome venue in Inglewood, not far from LAX. That is by far closer to UCLA than their own home stadium. It's closer to UCLA than the Coliseum. So we're going to have a really quirky situation where UCLA is going to be playing at the closest uh, location to their campus that they probably ever have um, against Boise State, which is the Mountain West champion. So that, that'll be a fun one. But, you know, if that doesn't get UCLA fans to show up to a bowl game, I don't know what will because most of them live on the west side um, and, it, and it'll be an exciting one to see. So I'm kind of curious to see that one um, and how that pans out. Let's see. RJ, I saw your hand up. What's up? Yeah, just jump jumping in with a quick note. Uh, I don't know how many UCLA fans will show up because UCLA semester starts. They, they run the quarter system, so they are notorious for not starting until late January. So most of them are going to be at home. Well, maybe they're students, but I mean, imagine the fan base, you know, only because so many of them live on the West Side. That I was supposed well, to think the are more the, for the LA, the LA base of UCLA fans yeah. that have been there and done that. I think that's a fair. Yeah, point. no, I, I kind of agree. I'm a little skeptical on it myself, only because yeah, I grew up in LA and, and UCLA fans, they have a hard time showing up even when the team was doing good, especially last season uh, in the Coliseum. Uh, John, you you wanted to add something, or did I accidentally leave something off? Uh, yeah, I was just kind of curious of uh, what bowl game you think sucks. <laughs> oh, where you don't want to be sent. I mean, I got to be honest. The idea of playing, I mean, playing in New York, I'm not against. But, man, being sent there for your bowl game to play outdoors, Boston's probably a close second. But I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's kind of a tie between those two. But getting sent to play outdoors in a cold place just seems kind of not. Because, again, the quick lane bowl, fine. It's in Detroit, but it's indoors. 
And it, I love it because it's Minnesota versus Bowling Green. Bowling Green embarrassed Minnesota a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Bowling Green seems to have that that one really embarrassing game on a P5 in them every year. I mean, this year it was Georgia Tech. But um, somebody pointed out that actually sounds like the most quick lane bowl matchup ever. Apparently, they've never. It sounded like somebody thought, like, have they, haven't they played this game before? No, Bowling Green and Minnesota have never played in the quick lane bowl against each other. But it just sounds so perfect that particular game i don't know uh ski mask smurphy what uh is there by the way if, you, if you're up here if you want to just say which bowl you're really into it uh this weekend um or maybe in a bowl season i'd love to hear that too oh i was gonna say the worst bowl i could figure to play in is um it's probably the, the idaho fans potatoes bowl because you don't want to be in, in up in Idaho in the middle of the winter. That just sounds Yeah, harsh. yeah, you're right. It isn't New York. At least if you're sent to the the, uh, the Pinstripe Bowl, you're in New York City, which for some of the young men, that's going to be a fun place to be. Um, and same with uh, you know Boston. I don't know exactly what the bowl entertainment is there. Do they put them on the Freedom Trail or... You know, do they, they? I've been to the. I took my little kids to the the Boston Tea Party Museum, where you pretend to throw. You get to throw tea into the harbor, but it's attached by like a cable, so you can pull it right back up and hand it to the next person to throw the, the tea into the harbor. Um, it's super dorky, very overpriced, very. But you know, it's interesting and cute, and people are in character talking to you like ye old, not ye old England, but you know, close enough. Um, <laughs> but what, Ski Master Murphy, which bowl are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, this weekend, I would say um, I'm gonna have to go with um, the Mexico Cure Bowl, or is it, wait, is it avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl? Yeah, avocados. The, <laughs> like I think you blur the New Mexico Bowl and the Cure Bowl together. <laughs> yeah, 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 the Cure Bowl, the Cure Bowl. They, they, there's a, they, the names are too long. Yeah, App State versus Miami, Ohio. Just because I know App State is like, it's it has to be chaos. That's the only, that's the only way they know how to play. So I know there's going to be entertainment somewhere. Oh, absolutely. I like that one. Let's see here. Uh, Nate, I see. I'll get to all of you guys with your hands up. Nate, what's on, which, one's, which one are you looking forward to? Uh, I think the one I'm looking forward to is Cal and Texas Tech. I think that one could get a frisky. That'll be an interesting one to watch this weekend. Um, and then overall, um, later on, but uh, I didn't, I don't, are there any, many opt-outs? I feel like the Notre Dame-Oregon State game, that should be uh, an interesting one to watch. It'll be very curious because that one has a lot of opt-outs. So I'm very curious to see the type of teams we see against each other. And, of course, Oregon State doesn't even have their head coach. So um, that one is going to be an interesting one to see for sure. Um, let's see here. John, RJ, and then Mac. Um, yeah, I was just say, uh, you know, I think for the Saturday, I have to agree with you guys. I think uh, Miami Ohio, Ohio has 11 wins. That's incredible. I mean, I, I, can't, I don't know if I can ever remember a time where Miami Ohio had you know, had won 11 games going into his bowl game. Um, so I think I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and uh, I, 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 you know, to answer my own question, because I, you know, I, I think it's only fair because I made you try to answer it. I, I really think the quick lane bowl, I think it's the, it's the worst one. I, I can't imagine working, you know, getting up at 4 a.m., doing workouts, playing your butt off, like putting all this sacrifice and dedication, having an incredible season, and then like your coach coming in and be like, all right, you guys, uh, we're going to spend Christmas in Detroit. And this being ultimately lit down <laughs> by you know the idea of you could be going anywhere warm in the country and you got you got the one you're like you got the very few chance of getting sent to the middle of Michigan in December, so I, I feel like it's had to put my answer out there too. Awesome, uh, RJ. What's on? Which, which give us your thoughts? 
Yeah, for the bowl game, I wouldn't want to be sent to. It's the Bahamas Bowl this specific year because it's not in the Bahamas. Charlotte. Yeah. Like, oh, come on, man. Like, no, no disrespect to Charlotte, but do you understand how how mad I would be if I got if I played my way into the Bahamas Bowl and instead I have to go to Charlotte? Nah, I'd be mad. But um, in terms of, the- I mean, and for those who don't know, the the Bahamas Bowl has a funny kind of setup there in the sense that all the conference, uh, all the teams, the conference uh, USA, they actually. Um, the NCAA gives them a grant and they apply. So every player on every team gets a passport, which they might not normally get just in case they're the team at the end of the season that gets sent to the Bahamas bowl. So it's kind of a cool thing, but yeah, no, because apparently they're redoing that stadium for the next couple of years. It's going to be in Charlotte and it's the famous toastery bowl, which I guess is the name of a local restaurant chain. Yep. Um, Charlotte, the Bahamas of the United States. I've you know, as somebody pointed out, it creates an interesting quirk because North Carolina, of course, during after Pearl Harbor, they moved the Rose Bowl there to, to Duke Stadium. So it's now hosted like a Bahamas Bowl, a Rose Bowl. Um, there was one other one that somebody threw in there, too. But it's, it's actually it's going to end up being a future trivia question. Which state has hosted, you know, the Duke's Mayo Bowl as well as the Rose Bowl as well as the Bahamas Bowl? Um, and now you all know it's North Carolina. Um, yeah. You know, by the way, before I forget, only because someone brought it up. So the last time the Ma- the Miami of, of Ohio did do that well was when Brent Roethlisberger was their quarterback, and they went uh, twelve thirteen and one uh, and finished the season ranked number ten in two thousand three. They only lost the opener at Iowa, um, and then they just went through the rest of their season. They beat Northwestern, um, and then they beat uh, a Conference USA Louisville in the GMAC bowl and mobile at the end of the season. But, uh, that, that, that's, that was the one that, that was the last time Miami of Ohio had a season even close to this one. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. RJ. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, I'm actually going to the street bowl Monday. That's why I interrupted. <laughs> actually, I could, I could give you a lovely, uh, first person experience, uh, review when I'm back on this next Tuesday. So I can't wait to hear yeah, about it. Sticko's committee. When you hear this back, just know we will have boots on the ground. Please get <laughs> in touch with this man. Is Biff Pogi going to be there? Like, is he just going to be in the audience watching? Cause like he, he thinks his team should have been, cause it's in a stadium. You know, that, that would be hilarious. Oh, what do you mean? It's I, portal season. Biff going to be there recruiting. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> you know, and it's so funny too. Now the famous toaster bowl keeps me think of a pop tart bowl. And because you get to eat that mascot or however they're doing that at the end of the game, um, you know, the winning team gets to take a bite out of the mascot. I still don't know. I still think it's it's apparently a pop tart. It needs to be a pop tart filled with some kind of red feeling, and it needs to scream for people to stop as they're eating it. And I want to see players, especially if it's a visiting team in white jerseys, I want to see it like leaking this red stuff so we get all these players afterwards that look like they just came out of like a slasher film. Um, but that's just me. I maybe I have weird views on on uh pop tarts but um <laughs> oh, mac what's up well, well, I mean, before what's... i go one thing yeah, yeah. One game that i am most excited for i need to make sure this stat gets across the airways the last time cal played a texas team and possibly cal's last bowl game they threw six interceptions cal's on their third string quarterback we might <laughs> get seven. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah texas tech has been a disappointing season but still that they they still got talent on that in the, on that team for sure Mac, what's what are your thoughts on this question? Yes, so the bowl I'm actually looking forward to this weekend is Howard and FAMU. Just due to the fact that I got family that went to FAMU, but it makes for me because Howard's head coach was 
Larry Scott, who was actually a defensive coach at USF. So it kind of kind of torn between that. And then as far as the bowl that I wouldn't want to go to, the Avocados uh, from Mexico Bowl, just due to the fact that I would want to play a bowl game in my rival stadium. Oh, that's a great one. I like that. You see, and that's the thing, like, USC fans can't complain about that because the Rose Bowl is technically, you know, uh, UCLA kind of sidestepped everything and like, no, we're calling this our home stadium. So I, I, they're, they're one, the one school that doesn't quite get as upset about it. But uh, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, and the Celebration Bowl, I can't believe I forgot about it. That's, that's always a good game. Um, that's going to be uh, on ABC at noon Eastern also this Saturday. So be sure that's always a great way to I think, kick off bowl season in general. So looking forward to that one, Howard and, and FAMU, for sure. Ski Master. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go Bison. Ski Master Murphy, I see your hand up, and then I'm going to slowly wrap this up. Okay. Sorry. <clears throat> so a crazy idea just popped into my head while we mentioned then the Bahamas Bowl. What if, like, an alternative once the 12-team playoff happens is, like, if someone sets up a bolt, like a, a, a mini playoff and just call it an invitation over, like, eight teams, just in a place where the players actually want to go, like the Bahamas something, that seems like a crazy alternative, but it could work. Sort of like how, well, not how the NIT works with the NCAA tournament because they're not in good locations, but just set up something alternatively that'll have another group of good teams, but put it in a place where it's like, no, we want to be there. <laughs> the Cancun Invitational or something like that. No, you know, and it's kind of interesting because we've had sort of, there's always been this kind of outside discussion of should there be a G5 playoff or should there be some kind of a version of that, like an NIT version of a playoff. My only thought is, the, the each extra game and the, you almost I wonder if we'll see teams revert back to the whole reason they didn't want to play off um, an additional game was the idea of extra chances for injuries, extra chances for X. And what do we really I mean, imagine having a player, a crucial player you lose totally over a game that wasn't necessarily all that important. Um, the, I could see that pushback, but, you know, I always think if the money's there. You know, and especially if they allowed a tournament for that other seven, I don't know. Apart for the for the uh, for the twelve team tournament, I don't know what would prevent another one from forming. I just think you'd get whole, all the questions over television, uh, over you know the money. Will the money be there? Um, will the twelve team pay- playoff still siphon off the majority of interest? Um, I'm not sure it'll be possible for a lot of reasons. I don't know if it would be feasible, but it's absolutely fascinating to think about it. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, we've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, been a little bit. It's been a bit of a tiring day for me. I actually went into this and I'm like, my brain is fried. I'm like, I'm gonna, but at least I get to talk about college football. And it's so funny. You guys give me life. I, I, I feel like so much more energetic um, after talking to you all. And I'll stay up now for two hours just because I'm stupid. And I think it's a good idea. And I'll read like Wikipedia articles about college football or something. But um, <laughs> I just wanted to take a second. To thank all of you who joined us, um, either in the audience or here on the stage, give us your thoughts. Tuesday nights are when we always enjoy talking to you, 10 p.m. Eastern, here on uh, Twitter Space, X Space, uh, however you want to say it. My name is Bob Akayeri. I'm your host. This is going to automatically turn into a recording as soon as it's done here on uh, X, but also uh, we'll eventually get this up to wherever you get your podcast if you want to hear it um, as RCFB Talk. Um, if you want to get more into the playoffs, I, I now I was hired by a media group to take over a spot and I do the college football survivor show. I'll just mention that occasionally. I do that with CBS Sports Shehan Jayaraja, where we just focus on playoff teams. Um, eh, just throw that out there. But regardless, I hope you all have a great night. I can't wait to talk to you all next week after the first round of polls. And a reminder, 
Um, again, it's going to be way busier next season around this time because we're going to be talking about the first round of playoff games that will be coming up this weekend next year. So there's going to be literally no calm before the storm. It's going to be, I've heard a lot of sports media complain about it, but it's going to be exciting for fans. It's going to be just more, more of a dense schedule and more interesting discussions about which teams are going to be home teams for that first round and which teams are going to be the visitors and all that stuff. Can't wait for it. But on behalf of all of us, I hope you all have a great night. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.